across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And Zidoro oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, J.J. Jerez. Along with me is Arif Dean. We're here recording on a Tuesday just ahead of avalanche hockey. We've got some NHL playoff hockey today, but yesterday was our first day off with without any hockey whatsoever I personally got a lot of stuff done but it was kind of a good time to sit back and look back at that first qualifying round in the round robin and you know I just wanted to ask you overall how did you like the the entering round of this year's playoffs Arif? It was a lot of fun I uh, I mean I know a lot of players and a lot of coaches outside of Barry Trotz who surprisingly as an old school guy sort of has the opinion that that was a lot of fun and something that the NHL should implement um everybody really liked the way it went the hockey was great the tv product was was exceptional and i know we said this last week but it looked and felt like normal hockey on tv and it was fun hockey every series went to four games uh you know obviously a three to one ending except for one went to five which was columbus beating toronto and that was exciting and one went to three which was carolina beating the rangers so it was good competitive hockey the round robin had a couple of snooze fest games nothing too bad i'm still curious how the round robin teams are going to match up against these qualifying teams having not played as intense hockey as them but all in all that was a fun nine days of hockey every single day all day it just felt like a blur and it felt you know this past week has felt you know normal again correct me if you disagree or if you think I'm wrong but I just think there's such a discrepancy with the good teams that were playing the round robin and the teams that just squeaked in like you know the Chicago Blackhawks or say um, you know the Montreal Canadiens obviously the biggest surprise I think there's too big of a of a difference in quality of teams that I think this first round of the playoffs is going to be a lot more predictable and maybe even a little, you know, maybe a little more boring just because I think there are going to be a few more blowouts. Just me, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, Pittsburgh and Edmonton losing were both, as a number five seeds, were both kind of disappointing in the sense where you want the best teams to be in the playoffs or, quote, whatever the best teams means nowadays. Nobody really knows what that means. Uh, and that speaks to the parity of the league. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Columbus was the lower seed against Toronto, but they were the eight and nine seed. They were separated separated by like 0.01 points percentage. The difference between an Arizona and a Nashville was like a, a win or two in the final week of the season that Arizona, that Nashville had won, which made them the higher seed. But Arizona ultimately destroyed them in four games. So they were very much close series. Chicago used their star power up front both from the older guys and the younger guys like Kirby Dak and Dominic Kubalik, Kubalik to beat Edmonton. And Montreal used Carey Price, Shea Weber, and Jeff Petrie to beat Pittsburgh. But other than that, 
you know, other than those two series, which the lower team won both times, every series was very close knit in terms of the quality of hockey that the teams play. But now you have series where you have a Montreal going up a very hot and firing Philadelphia Flyers. You have Colorado playing Arizona. You have Vegas playing Chicago. It just seems like a larger discrepancy because it is. So I'm really curious to see how this NHL first round of the playoffs is going to look of the Stanley Cup playoffs compared to past years because it seems like it's a bigger discrepancy between those teams in terms of parity. Hopefully a lot more predictable, especially for my draft DraftKings <laughs> account's sake. Um, but we'll get more into that predictability in DraftKings in a bit. For now, I wanted to just preview this Arizona-Colorado series. This is going to be an exciting one. I think it's going to be a nice warm-up for Colorado, so to speak. Yep. But I kind of want to look back a little bit on that game against Gold, the Vegas Golden Knights because while... Yes, the Avalanche ended up losing. I think it was a well, hard-fought loss, a good test for Colorado, and I think it speaks a lot to the character of the Colorado Avalanche. So there are a few things that I, that really stood out to me from that game that I think are going to correlate well into this series, and if they can just keep that consistent, I think they're going to breeze by Arizona. So the first thing I kind of wanted to start was just the fact that they went down early in that second period. And we hadn't really seen them face adversity too much, except for against St. Louis. And they fought back. They they got back in the game, forced overtime. And, you know, I think it's actually a good thing for the Avalanche to have lost a game. So they're not riding too high into the next, next round in the next series. Yeah, and I mean, the funny thing about that game is it felt frustrating at points and at times in the sense where it felt like they couldn't really get the upper hand on Vegas, even though at times they were out shooting them by a lot and they were really getting more opportunities, especially on the man advantage. But at the same time, the game never felt like it was out of reach. Even at the end of the game, when the Avalanche pulled their goalie and they started that six-on-five attack to try to tie up the game, I wasn't watching it with that sense of, can they pull this off? I was kind of watching it with that patience of, they're going to do it. And they did it so early in the six-on-five. There was still 62 seconds left. It even gave Vegas time to almost score another regulation goal, I remember. <laughs> but like it wasn't that miraculous comeback kids type of game. It was just like, yeah, we're down a goal with a minute left. Let's just get this done and get it to overtime. And uh, you know, as much as it is unfortunate that they're not the top seed, I do agree that it sort of is humbling a little bit for them to drop a game. But at the same time, it's not much of a cause for concern because while the Avalanche have been terrible three-on-three three all season long and the four-month pause didn't really change that because they still didn't look like they could get a hold of any good opportunities three-on-three, three, which I'm still confused as to why this team can't do it. The reality is three-on-three three is done. It's time for playoff hockey, five-on-five, five, continuous OT, and that came probably would have went a lot differently if it was that if that was the case. And I think we're all okay with the fact that they're playing Arizona rather than Chicago. I think, you know, you if you polled most Avalanche fans, they would definitely say that Arizona's preferred. So that being said, it wasn't too angering of a loss, but you saw after the game, and it was Nathan McKinnon and JT Confer's press conference, how pissed off they really were. And I want them to be pissed off. I think yeah. you want that loss. They want to win every game. Yeah, and you want that loss to ignite a fire because it just speaks to the heart. I mean, and if you look at Boston, after they went 0-3 in the round robin, they took the exact opposite approach. They were very nonchalant and said, yeah, you know, it's just not that intense a hockey. It's round robin. You know, we'll see what actually happens in the series. But with the Avalanche, they were 
angry, and I think they are going to be ready to come out of the gate just swinging on on the Coyotes, looking looking to just sweep them. Yeah, and that's that's the mindset they want to have. The I was telling this uh, to Ronnie. I was on a Mile High Sports Live radio earlier today, and he asked me about the Avalanche going in as that top seed. They're no longer the underdogs and these kids with the good. You know, it's it's like that year that Toronto evolved from being just that team that squeaked into the playoffs to a team that has expectations. And my response to does that hurt them is absolutely not because they have this mindset and McKinnon repeated it again yesterday for probably the 25th time since the pause ended. And that's we haven't won anything yet. So the Avalanche are this high-powered team. They are this high-powered offense that are completely loaded with depth, great defensemen, young defensemen, Kale McCarr, good goaltending, two of them actually. And despite all of that, and despite being the predicted team to come out from the West and even win the Stanley Cup for many of those, you know, what, what you want to call experts or pundits, they don't care. They've completely eliminated all of that outside noise because we haven't won anything yet. Yesterday, Eric Johnson and Nathan McKinnon were the two guys that were available to media. The, the similarities between those two and the thing that they have in common is both of them were on the team, McKinnon's rookie season, when the Avalanche were also the number two seed, the top in the central, and lost to game seven against Minnesota. That was an upset. That was a disappointment. But the Avalanche went in riding high. They didn't want to go in riding high this time. They wanted to go in with the mindset that no matter who we are and where we are in the standings, we have not won anything yet. And because of that, I don't think that's going to be an issue. And I do think that they have this high-powered offense where they're not going to feel pressure to beat this team that's a lower seed and ultimately end up choking. They're just going to go out and do it. It's that mindset. It's that fire in their belly that you could just see. It's almost palpable. I mean, the, you look at every single game they played in the round robin. The first period was dominated by Colorado in all three. I mean, they came out setting the tempo. And, you know, I think we can rest assured that they'll be doing the same moving forward. But it's just that, again, that fire that they have. It's so noticeable, and I think it's so different. I, I compared them to Boston. I think Boston's taken the complete wrong mentality. Colorado has something to prove. I still think they, um, you know, ha carry that chip on their shoulder from two seasons ago. I still think they just have a, a different, I guess, way of being about them that when you compare it to the rest of the NHL, it's just, it's just not the same. I think there's a, a more drive in this team. Yeah, and people have been saying that since the start of the uh, since the conclusion of the pause and the start of phase three in training camp and eventually phase four now with playing hockey, they kept saying that the two teams that look the most prepared, and this is funny now to look back at that, and I mentioned this on an early episode, and those two teams were <laughs> the Colorado Avalanche and the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Pittsburgh yeah, Penguins. and Pittsburgh obviously crapped out. We know what happened there. Their GM is not really too happy and basically vowed that there will be changes. And then the other team is the Avalanche, who looked great, even with a loss, looked awesome all throughout the playoffs and, you know, or all throughout the round-robin stage, and seems ready to not only start the playoffs, but to ultimately start it strong. Uh, you know, if they beat Calgary in five games last year, they want to probably do that against Arizona, if not four games uh, they want to be ready to go, and they want to end this as soon as they possibly can. Looking ahead at the goaltending, obviously it was a, a big topic heading into the round robin. Both Fransuz and Philip Grubauer played phenomenal, I would say, in the round robin play. Um, but now it's time for Jared Bednar to, to, you know, put his money where his mouth is and pick his goaltender. So that being said, do you think anything's changed? Do you think... Uh, you know, it, Philip Grubauer is still definitely the man who gets the nod. Yes. 
and uh, Philip Grubauer will play until Philip Grubauer is not playing well anymore. Just like it's been all season. Uh, I know injuries played a factor in who was the starting goalie at certain times of the year. But also if Philip Grubauer puts in a game or two of 17 saves on 21 shots or whatever it may be, something of that nature, then he's pulled and the next man up can do the job. The reality is Grubauer has been playing well. I know against Vegas he let in four goals, but it wasn't ultimately his fault. They were It was a very high-powered offensive game and Leonard did face more shots and because of that made more saves but it was a high-scoring game and sometimes even the best goalies are in 5-4 games and you can't blame the goalie that lets in four goals or the goalie that lets in five it's a high-powered offensive uh, game with a lot of goals so I don't necessarily fault Grubauer for anything against Vegas um, but at the same time it will be a short leash and for good reason we've seen other teams already do that we've seen Vegas play both their goalies and today the first day of the first round of the playoffs, start Robin Leonard ahead of Flurry. We've seen Boston use Halak. We've seen Dallas use both of their guys. So you just know that the leash is going to be short, and it's, it should be that way when you have two capable goalies like this. I personally would be a little bit hesitant to put Fransuz out there, mainly because of just kind of what he said after his game when he faced the Dallas Stars, just the fact that he's usually really nervous. He's not used to this kind of pressure, Arif. He's, I think for this, the bigger games, the ones that really matter and uh, you know are going to have a lot more pressure you know, inherently to them, Philip Grubauer is going to be your guy. Philip Grubauer is going to be a lot more cool, collected, ready to face that and ready to handle the pressure that comes with a playoff game more so. I mean, Francouz is still technically his rookie season. I mean, yeah, he's an older guy. Yeah, he's been around. But in terms of NHL playoff games, I don't know if he's mentally ready for those yet. I can see that. And I think it really helps that Grubauer did what he did last year. Because before that, he wasn't much of a playoff guy. He started for the Capitals the year they won the Cup in 2018. And he lasted two games, lost both of them, and then Braden Holtby took over and won 16 to win the Cup. So it's very, very, very good for the Avalanche to have not only Grubauer, but Grubauer after the run he had last year, not just in the playoffs, but in the regular season to will them into the playoffs as well. So it gives you that safety net, that comfort of knowing that you have somebody who's been there before and has done it. Pavel Francouz, the only thing that I know is that Every time he played intense playoff hockey in the KHL, he was pretty damn good. Obviously, it didn't go too well with the Eagles last year. Uh, they lost, I believe, in four games, and he had less than a 900 save percentage. But the year before that, he played 12 playoff games. He had a 949. In 2017, six playoff games, a 924 save percentage, a 953 the year before that. So in the KHL, he was really proving that he can play intense hockey. The NHL is a different animal. The Stanley Cup playoffs is a different animal. So I do feel that hesitation as well to play him. But if it gets to the point where Grubauer loses his groove, you want to be able to to turn to him and hope that he gets the job done. And I have faith in him. He's not young. He's a 30-year-old man, and he's he's been under this kind of pressure before, be it World Juniors, be it World Championships. So I think he'll do just fine. But you don't want to have to turn to that unless absolutely necessary. Right. You've got the confidence in his ability to get it done, but there's just a lot of unknown when it comes to playoff hockey with him. So you got to proceed with caution. I'm not saying don't use him at all, but just make sure it's the right move. Right? Yeah. So a couple other things I thought the Avalanche did really well throughout the round robin and also in the Vegas Golden Knights loss that I think is really going to help them moving forward, and that's on the defensive side of the puck. One thing I really noticed them doing well, and I 
specifically saw this when I saw Nikita Zadorov almost go to pinch and he instead backed off. And what the Avs are doing is blocking off the zone entry from the opposing offense right at the blue line. If you notice, they're slowly pushing them and pushing them yep. and pushing them to the boards. And right at that blue line, they'll cut them off. Right at the blue line, you'll see Nikita Zadorov deliver the hit. And I think they did that really well against Vegas for the most part. It's hard with such a fast team, but if you're going to slow down a fast team, much like Arizona, who I think play a very similar style to Vegas and Colorado, you're going to want to implement that to perfection and, and slow them down on those zone entries and making sure that they're going wide. Yeah, and I mean, I love that you mentioned Nikita Zadorov because I feel like throughout the round robin, he played a very safe hockey, safe style of hockey in the sense where he didn't want to pinch and make those boneheaded moves and end up on the wrong end of the ice and the wrong end of a two-on-one or an odd man rush going the other way. He wanted to play his role, and his role is to play defensive, to, to eat up the opposition, to play hard, physical playoff hockey, and when ne when necessary, basically level a guy. And he did it a few times along the boards, and it was always along that blue line. Knowing that you have Ian Cole by your side, you can sometimes pinch, but at the same time, when Zadorov specifically pinches, he tends to go a little overboard and ends up being a boneheaded play, uh, ultimately, in a sense. And it's just not worth it. And I think for whatever reason, he's learned that enough to know that he can play a very safe and, and, and uh, conservative style of defensive hockey. And he's done a good job at it. And the rest of the team has sort of picked, you know, picked up that type of game as well. Uh, I saw Eric Johnson pinch a few times against Vegas, probably had more chances in that game than he's had in a really long time. But he always got back. Makar and Ger Gerard was always there covering for him, and and he always made sure that it was a pinch. Uh, he was only pinching when it was necessary to, and then he would always make it back, and he would always stand up his opposition at the blue line. And I just thought that it was great that they were able to do that because that's how you're going to be able to stop those high-powered teams like Vegas, and uh, you may as well get into that groove early on and before the playoffs because it's only going to get harder from here. And that's the team first mentality coming out just shining. I think, you know, we've pumped the avalanche tires on their confidence and, you know, their self-belief. And I think that's just instead of making the me play and standing out on how great I can pinch, it's let's make the responsible play so I don't leave any teammates exactly. hanging and yep. I don't leave an odd man rush going the other way. So, you know, I think that that was really good play from the avalanche defense. And then again, um, I think blocking shots has been really good for the Avalanche, especially Ian yeah. Cole. Ian Cole's blocking shots like a madman, and he's doing it, you know, with a big bag of knuckles, as I like to say. So, um, yeah. you know, keep those shot blocks up, especially on the penalty kill, and I think the defense is looking pretty strong. Yeah, absolutely. And Ian Cole, you know, we've talked about him before. He's been there before. He had those two runs with the Pittsburgh Penguins and won a couple of cups. He was instrumental for the Avalanche last year when he was more of a top four guy and not necessarily a depth guy. Uh, so it's it's great to have players like that playing the conservative, responsible hockey that they should be playing. And if anybody should be pinching, it should be the guys that we know could make something happen. And those are your Makars, those are your Gerards, especially Makar. I mean, he's probably the only one that should be doing it. Uh, but something about the style of play, the Avalanche of play, during the round robin, you didn't see many turnovers. You didn't see a lot of odd man rushes and breakaways going the other way. I know Vegas scored a goal on a penalty shot because of a breakaway and a bad play, but it was very 
rare to see that. It seemed like very responsible hockey, very conservative hockey from a team that has a lot of offense. So if you're doing your part to keep the puck out of your net, you're going to win with the offense that you have. And, and, And it's just very comforting to see the Avalanche playing that style of hockey because it shows a level of maturity and growth to not go 100% all the time. And on the other side of the ice, another positive sign that this team is just ready for playoff hockey and ready to hopefully buzz through the Arizona Coyotes here is think about the round robin and how many goals the Avalanche scored, picking up garbage directly around the net, JT Conference style laying on his side, sweeping it in, right? I mean, those kind of goals are what you need in the playoffs, and the Avalanche have scored a ton of those in the last couple games. Every single one of them against Vegas was like that. From the Nathan McKinnon goal where he picked up the loose puck uh, out of the air to the second goal to eventually the comfort goal at one with 102 remaining in the third period. Obviously the Kadri goal that won them the game after a very, very aggressive power play or you know in the midst of a very aggressive power play. They're scoring the type of goals you got to score in the playoffs. You're not always going to score in the playoffs the goals where Nathan McKinnon comes buzzing down and you know, like, like his rookie season or like the exhibition game basically just breaks Jared Spurgeon's legs uh you're not always going to have those pretty goals you need to score the garbage goals and they've done a ton of that and they're doing it when it's necessary and they're not looking for the pretty play as much as they used to you know even this season not just last year you know it is pretty in my opinion though and you lightly touched on it there is this team with the man advantage is something I can just watch all day. I mean, I think it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. They're so skilled. They're so great at just playing the keep away game and keeping the teams hemmed in their own zone. I mean, when teams think they have the puck and have a shot at getting it out of the zone, you know, Kale McCarr is there to slap it down and hold it in. And just watching them with the man advantage has been great throughout the round, Robin. Yeah, there was a five on three occasion against Vegas that they didn't convert, but you know, how, how are you feeling about the power play going into this next series here? I like into it. Into the real playoffs. I like it. They were they were 3 for 10 after the first two games, and then they had another goal there where Donskoy scored a second after a penalty expired. So they were ultimately 4 for 10. Against Vegas, they did score only one power play goal. But the 5-on-3, and Jared Bednar spoke to this after the game as well, he said the 5-on-3 opportunity they had was actually pretty damn good. It was solid, and Robin Leonard made some good saves, and they had some, I believe it was Rantanen at the doorstep had an opportunity, and Leonard completely stoned him, and, you know, that's the way it goes with Miko Rantanen lately, because he's been very much snake-bitten lately. Mm-hmm. Um but outside of that power play early in the third period where the Avalanche and the Golden Knights were tied 2-2 two to two and Colorado just couldn't get anything going on that power play, they looked excellent against Vegas. They added another power play goal. So they've got four power play goals in three games on maybe about 15 opportunities. So that's what you want. You want your power play to be going and you want to be able to, to generate the type of chances that they've had. So it's very, very... It's 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 a big positive and there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be excited about for the man advantage and uh, on the penalty killing side they've looked well as well uh, they've looked good as well and obviously five on five they were one of the best teams this year so it just seems like a very good time to sort of get everything going all at once. I think the power play is going to be one of the biggest factors. Look at the power play if they can be tallying one goal a game on the power play. I don't think Arizona stands a yeah. chance. And, uh, you know, Arizona throughout the first round of play was actually the third lowest penalty kill percentage in 
of all the teams to actually qualify. So that's something that the Avalanche can exploit because I think their power play is just so dangerous. And if they could just get a little bit more aggressive with the shot taking, I think, you know, they'll, they'll easily score one goal a game against Arizona. Yeah. And uh, this is something that Peter McNabb always says on altitude as well. Uh, there isn't many things that he says that really make me go, oh, yeah, you're you know absolutely correct. Uh, but the one that he always says is, I don't care what your power play percentage is. I care about how many power play goals you score. So if one team goes two for three and they're 66% and the other team goes three for eight, well, the three for eight is not 66%, but it's also three power play goals. It also means that you generated eight opportunities of making the other team go shorthanded. You made them play 16 minutes of, of, of uh, uh, penalty killing time. You scored more power play goals, and that's what matters. So if you're scoring four in three games, you're ultimately scoring one per game, and that's more than what you can ask for because it takes a lot for a team to even score 82 regular season power play goals. That's considered an exceptional number. So if you can carry that into the playoffs, you're doing the right thing. Another fun fact about Arizona before we look deeper into them um, is that they actually gave up the most shots on goal on average during that preliminary round as well. So just another thing for the Avalanche to exploit if they choose their shots correctly. I know Jared Bednar after the last game kind of mentioned that he doesn't think they're getting very threatening shots to the net while they're just kind of throwing muffins out there. If they can create more dangerous scoring chances, I think, you know, again, the Avalanche should roll right through Arizona. But And thank goodness that there's no 3v3 in the playoffs too, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, that – I. I can't put a finger on why the Avalanche are not a good team three on three this year with the kind of team that they have and the players and the and the uh, personnel they have but that's an issue for another year now because now it's playoff hockey it's five on five overtime and and every overtime game they had last year I'm pretty sure they won every single one against Calgary and San Jose and you know oh captain my captain for Landeskog to the goal McKinnon scored in game two to the goal that McKinnon uh, or Rantanen scored on an assist from Carl Soderberg who now plays for the Coyotes in game four so it's 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 good that we're done with three on three and and I feel very good about how the Avalanche are going to look in that sense yeah absolutely so you know you might want to throw some money down into DraftKings and take the abs to win this series because i think it's a sure thing and on the topic of DraftKings, the hits literally keep on coming from one mma event to the next they grow in excitement and anticipation and ufc 252 is no different with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping in the octagon this weekend there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app for this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users the opportunity to bet $1 to win $252. Those are some great odds. DraftKings coming in with those amazing odd boosts again. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to bet $1 and win $252 when placing a bet on the big fight. Head to the app right now and check out all that they have to offer, including fighter props, round-by-round -round betting, and so much more. Plus, with basketball's playoffs right around the corner and hockey, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering $10 in free bets to use on in-game action for every day of the first round of the playoffs. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So, 
Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win 252 on this weekend's main event. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $252 when placing $1 on this weekend's big fight by using promo code MHS only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. As I mentioned, that if you want to put on some money on the Avalanche to win the series, the odds aren't great just because I think everybody believes that the Avalanche are going to maybe steamroll the Coyotes here. So it's a minus 286 on the series. But... If you parlay that with a Vegas Golden Knights series win, which is at 315, your odds drop down to minus 129. So I think that's a pretty decent shot for two things that I think are a sure thing. So I think that's something to look forward to, something I've actually placed in my DraftKings account. So if you want to follow me, you know, that's up to you. I don't, I, I'll probably lose your money. Like I've been losing myself money. Just like today, I've got Tampa Bay parlayed with the Vegas Golden Knights winning their round one game and Right now, Tampa Bay's in overtime, so I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. But God yeah. damn, is DraftKings fun. Yeah, and I mean, uh, what could go wrong with picking the higher seed in the NHL after <laughs> what we saw last year in the playoffs and what we saw in the round robin for Edmonton and Pittsburgh? It's never a sure thing, but I do like those odds of taking Colorado and Vegas over Chicago and Arizona uh, for a minus 129 odds. Yeah, and like I said at the top of the show, I just think the first round is going to be a lot more predictable. But, you know, I guess yep. I guess we'll see how that pans out. Looking ahead to the Arizona Coyotes and the Arizona Coyotes only. Looking at their season, they had a 33-29-8 record, which is basically a, lo- a losing record. And, you know, yep. as we know, they barely squeaked into the qualifying round of the playoffs. But does that even matter anymore, Arif? It doesn't. Uh, all that matters now is how you played in the round robin and in the qualifying round. And I think I said this last time, but the teams that were good leading in stayed good. And the teams that were kind of struggling kind of continued to struggle. St. Louis was losing ground and the and uh, they went 0-3 or 0-2-1. Colorado was gaining ground and they went 2-0-1. Vegas was hot. They went 3-0. and Philadelphia was hot before the break. They went 3-0. and So it's nice to see that it kind of, even though it was a four-month stoppage, everything just sort of became a continuation. Uh, but once you get to this point of the playoffs, none of that matters anymore. When the Avalanche and the San Jose Sharks played last year, it wasn't Colorado the team that won 38 or 39 regular season games. It was Colorado the team that just won a five-game series against a very good Calgary team. So that's how you'll have to look at it with Arizona now. Granted, Nashville isn't that big of a challenge and the Avalanche could probably steamroll them but at the same time Arizona is no longer the team that won 33 games and you know was above 500 only because it's the NHL and there's an OT losing point Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's the team that won four games won in just four games against the Predators and are ready for whatever comes their way which is now the Avalanche. Nashville has been on a slow downturn for the last couple years, I would say. So while it was declared technically an upset, I don't think it was too surprising to anybody. That's the thing, yeah. What made made them so successful against Nashville? 
Nashville's top guys are just not being their top guys. And I'm, I don't want to take away from the Coyotes because the reason why the Coyotes won is because their top guys showed up. They've never really had a Phil Kessel before or a Taylor Hall. Both of those guys played great. Oliver Ekman Larson is a gem. He's one of the hidden, you know, best defensemen in this league. Darcy Kemper is a great goalie. Carl Soderberg is a great depth guy. And they have all these other guys, Christian Dvorak and, and uh, uh, Clayton Keller and, and all these guys that are you just don't realize how good they really are. Connor Garland was another guy that's, you know, was on pace to score over 20 goals. So while Arizona has all this depth and all their guys showed up, Nashville, like you said, they've been on a downward spiral outside of Roman Yossi and UC Saros. There really isn't much to look forward to right now because it seems like all of their big guys up front are getting paid and getting collectively worse every year. It's funny that you mentioned Carl Soderberg as being a key piece for them because he is. He He's sixth on their team in points. But how many times in the last two months do you bring up Carl Soderberg? You specifically, Arif Dean, you bring up Carl Soderberg as looking back and being, oh, well, at least it's not a Carl Soderberg that we're dealing with anymore. So I think that alone, that Carl Soderberg, sixth on their team with 35 points, is a major cog in their you know, production. And comparatively, what he did here just shows you, I, I think, the, the, again, the discrepancy in the two teams. Yeah, for sure. And the the cool thing about Carl Soderberg is that, or the thing to say about Carl Soderberg is that he's not necessarily a bad player. Just the Avalanche didn't want him to be the second line center, but he was not necessarily, you know, because he was playing exceptional. He was playing good, but because Joe's Kerfoot and Comfort couldn't take over that number two spot, so somebody had to, and it was him. And he did a damn good job at it. He scored. He he set up a very important Miko Rantanen overtime goal last year against Calgary, and he always showed up. He always played well. And as McKinnon called it yesterday in his media availability, he's a very interesting personality as well. And we can see that just from <laughs> his his demeanor all the time. Looks like a robot, very robotic all the time, but. Uh, He's a damn good player. He's a veteran in this game. He's been on some good Boston teams. He's been on some good Colorado runs the last two years. And uh, I would have loved to still have him around this year. But, you know, I'm not complaining with the Pierre-Edouard Belmar uh, signing the Avalanche made. And I'm excited to see what the Avs could do going up against this guy because he knows their system. He's played on the defensive side of practicing against McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen for a couple years now. And uh, it's just going to be an interesting matchup. And I, I, I feel great for him, and I'm very happy he's in the playoffs, to be honest. And he was a key piece in the penalty kill for a while. You know, yep. he's, he's yep. got this penalty kill scouted. So, um, you know, look for that to be something that they, they try to take advantage of, try to figure out the ins and outs of the avalanche penalty kill so you you touched on it the big stars for arizona really are phil kessel clayton keller and taylor hall is that going to be enough to take the avs out i don't think so i i personally think the series goes five games uh but if arizona wins the second game and makes it two to two after four uh it'll be a little bit of a butt clencher for avalanche fans everywhere but i i i just can't see the coyotes winning the series and i hope i don't have to bite those words you know eat those words later and it wouldn't be hockey mountain high if we didn't talk goalies they got darcy kemper that's really their only hope is anti ranta still kind of making his way back from injury darcy kemper is their only hope listen to that right there i think i'm predicting a sweep i just don't think darcy kemper has what it takes i think the avalanche are yeah. familiar with darcy kemper from his days in minnesota they know how yep. to light him up i don't think he presents even the least bit of worry and like I've mentioned a couple times the last couple weeks, big-time goalies 
scare me against the Avalanche. Well, Darcy Kemper doesn't put an ounce of fear in my body. Yeah, uh, he's also the guy that beat the Avalanche in 2014 when they were the number two seed, but I, I do agree with you. He's a great goalie. He's had a great year, but I don't think he's a match for this Avalanche team, especially, especially, especially knock on wood with the fact that they're fully healthy, they're operating, and everybody seems to be playing well. I would call him a good goalie, not a great goalie. I think you uh, overstepped there calling him a great goalie. He had a good he's a good goalie who had a great year, I would say, but I think that's He's a system goalie. He's a system goalie and he plays well in that system and the kind of game that they that they want him to play. He he does a good job at that. So he's he's made for the Arizona Coyotes. Well, that's all we have for the preview of the series. Hopefully you have some fun watching this and get to, you know, hear our great podcast for you just before the uh, game time i know we got kind of an early start so hopefully you were able to squeeze us in before if not either way we appreciate you for joining us time to get to the mile high sports three stars of the week presented by DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app star number three and Arif, i'm giving that to who Whoever in the NHL is is the jokester. Whoever's coming up with these hilarious COVID, oh, please leave your couch safely, and zero fans in attendance. And what was the most recent one? I forget. We, we, we'd like to thank our fans, and they had actual electric fans plugged into power outlets and sitting in the seats in the, in the crowd. Now, I gave that the star number three because, yes, it's fun, I guess. I think the jokes are pretty dumb. <laughs> But really what I wanted to bring up is just the fact that it feels like the NHL is trying a lot harder to come up with these stupid jokes than they are to denounce racism or make any sort of racism, anti-racism comment. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? I mean, we touched on this in the past in the sense where the NHL is going out of their way to you know, try to tackle the issue, but do it in a very NHL way, meaning being very conservative, trying not to affect anybody. And I think what sticks out to me the most, even with the Hockey Diversity Alliance and what they've been able to do, what little they've been able to do with this, with the NHL, which is ultimately a very conservative league with things like this, Ryan Reeves, uh, he kneeled for the national anthem with his teammate, with Robin Leonard and with a couple of Dallas Stars guys, and Taylor Sagan, Tyler Sagan and uh, Jason Dickinson. After the game, when Ryan Reeves was asked about it, he said, I'm not doing this to disrespect the flag, and I'm not doing this to disrespect the military and the veterans, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which very much we understand that people have made that clear. But then he also said, I wanted to make sure I don't make my teammates uncomfortable. But the purpose of a protest is to make your white teammates uncomfortable it's to make white america uncomfortable because that is the purpose of a protest so even a black hockey player like ryan reese who's part of the hockey diversity alliance who wants to take a stand still has to think about these things because hockey culture and that's an issue um but like i said i still want to see how this unfolds and what happens over not only the next two months but when whenever the hell the next season starts what happens then whenever the hell we have fans back in the stands what happens then i want to see if the nhl continues to make progressive steps forward or if this is all we see from them and then ultimately it looks bad on them it's starting to feel like it's going to be a bit underwhelming from the NHL's side. Well, it um, has been to this point, so I, I don't see why not. And it's it's disappointing, but it's not surprising is the is the way to put it. But it's which is also, you know, not right. And I don't know if this is typical, but I was watching a lot of games on the NHL app and it seemed like 
all the games were skipping the national anthem. I don't know if that was on purpose or if that's just what the NHL game package always does. I, I kind of failed to pay attention um, in the years that I've had it, but it you seems know, like they're purposely leaving out the national anthem just in case there's any more stuff. They that- don't. They don't want it to be a topic of conversation, and that's kind of a very NHL thing to do. Where let's let's go out of our way to steer the conversation to the words the way that we want it to be. And I did notice that when I watched the Toronto Columbus game four last week, that on the Sportsnet feed they showed the national anthem. Or sorry, not Toronto and Columbus. It was Vancouver, Minnesota. On the Sportsnet feed, they showed the national anthem. On the NBC feed, they did not. It's just interesting. They're in a bit of a conundrum here. Are we to show the national anthem and show this pride, or are we supposed to back our players? And you know, I, I just think they they need to figure out their priorities, I guess, so to speak. But either way, star number three goes to whoever's coming up with these stupid jokes. Star number two, and this is for real, guys. The guys, I know we all kind of saw it uh, over the week on an NHL little clip of the guys who are changing the advertisements on the boards between games. And that's something I noticed early on in the games that they're having, you know, Minnesota is having Minnesota geared advertising on the boards. Colorado still has the UC health, you know, so advertisers that paid the avalanche to have their ads throughout the season aren't getting shafted here. And I think that's, that's awesome of the, of the NHL to do to make sure that, uh, you know, all the teams sponsors are are being honored here but i think the guys that are doing the work are are obviously not getting the credit they deserve because that's a very behind the scenes very unnoticed detail i think and and props to the guys who you know have to do that in a short window between games there's a reason why this return to play took so long to come together it's because there are so many little things that we will we would have never thought about before that are part of making this big gigantic cog happen and that's one of them. I mean, James Van Riemsdyk of the Philly Flyer of the Philadelphia Flyers was part of the return to play committee, and he mentioned once that I've been on the phone. This was back in June. He said I've been on the phone the last three months more than I had been my entire life because there are so many things you don't think of, and that's just one of them. I mean, nothing says a Colorado Avalanche game like a Subaru ad. Nothing says a Colorado Avalanche game like a <laughs> UC Health ad. And you're seeing those for them, and then they're being taken down when the next game starts, and then they're being. Uh, catered towards whoever the home team is for that game. And it's just an exceptional thing that the NHL is doing and thinking of every possible thing. Yeah, we'll be sure to keep our eye out on any other unsung heroes that might pop up that are making this bubble in the tournament happen that don't necessarily get the praise that they deserve. We'll give you that praise here at Hockey Mountain High. Yeah, we got you. We got you covered. Yeah, you get one of the prized stars of the week. And that brings me to star number one, and that's going to the New York Rangers. Not that uh, they necessarily deserve it, but I think that's uh, a team I'm okay with seeing the number one pick going to. I think they're they're doing things with class for the most part, um, except for uh, uh, one of their defensemen, who I don't need to name here. But I, I like the New York Rangers. I think they deserve some talent, and they deserve to be good again. And, and you know, good for them for – earning that number one draft pick absolutely and the and the the thing about the new york rangers uh what i wanted to see from this draft lottery all along um just because you know usually i'm a fan of of the of the crazy chaos and chaotic uh you know outcomes but i wanted a team that originally was not in a playoff spot to win the draft lottery and i'm talking about your winnipegs your your uh chicago's your uh whoever those guys were that were seeds 9, 10, 11, and 12. 
and the Rangers were an 11 seed. So ultimately, if you're going to complain now about the draft lottery and the way it happened, you have to realize that the team that initially won the first pick was Team F. Team F was the Winnipeg Jets. The New York Rangers were slotted ahead of Team F, as in they had better odds. So the only thing that the return to play and the and the pandemic resulted in was a team a little bit worse than who would have won the draft lottery actually winning the lottery. So I feel bad for the Winnipeg Jets because if the NHL just said, let's go to a 16-team playoff, let's take 16 teams – the Winnipeg Jets would have been that Team F slot. They would have Alexis Lafreniere. Instead, they were dragged into this four-game series, which they lost. I mean, they weren't really dragged in. They had a big chance, but injuries led to their demise. Uh, I personally thought the Jets were going to sweep the the, the Flames, to, if, you, if you really think about my predictions last week. But a team that did not make the playoffs, a team that was not in a playoff position, one of the bottom 15 teams, a very traditional lottery team, won the draft lottery. And that's okay in my books. I didn't want to see Pittsburgh or Toronto or Edmonton win it, not because they don't deserve the player, which they don't, but because their teams were in a playoff position. So it is a little bit crazy, but good on them. They suddenly, they, they got Capocaco. Now they got Lafreniere. They signed uh, Panarin. So they're looking pretty damn good. Nashville, Minnesota, Winnipeg. There were very high odds that central the number one division, division went to the central division. Luckily, none of the central divisions got better so easily. Um, so I think you know, f- for that reason, we can be okay with it. But you take out you take out those three teams, and you take out Toronto, Edmonton, and Pittsburgh. You only had two options left, and one of those two teams won it, and I'm completely okay with that. Absolutely, it was crazy. I couldn't tell if that video, you know, if that really was the Leafs ball that hit the hit the. Uh... It it looked like it. it was, <laughs> I someone zoomed in on it, and it pretty. It, it was just funny to see that. That's that's typical Toronto Maple Leafs for you. Classic Leafs. But other than that, I hope you guys all enjoyed the Avalanche and Coyotes series. Um, anything you want to throw out there ahead of the, the, the round before we get out of here and uh, get back at some post-game podcasts? No. Uh, the only thing I would like to add actually on that note is um, if this prediction is right, I 100% meant it. But if it's wrong, then, you know, it's just a prediction and you can't really hate <laughs> me for it. But I'm going to say the Avalanche are going to win this series in five games. Yeah, don't forget my DraftKings parlay. Avalanche and Vegas, minus 129 to win the series. You parlay those together, you're in for some free money, in my opinion. But other than that, download DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And for Arif, I'm JJ. Follow us on Twitter, run, right, Arif at JJ of the year. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you.